0: This is Andrew Hahn and you're listening to the Sassholes. And I got to tell you, I've never been so comfortable with a group of talented Sassholes.
1: Welcome to Sassholes, a show dedicated to issues within the software as a service industry. We are revenue ops with an edge. Jamie, Jason, KG, and myself, Pete have a combined, give or take, 100 years of making interesting decisions. Please subscribe to our weekly newsletter. Hey, today we have a special guest, Andrew Hahn. Andrew is a highly talented, yet flawed, CRO, a self-L.A.'s largest SaaS IPO. He built three companies to successful exits and encountered two epic career fails. Only two. Andrew is a skilled global SaaS revenue leader who specializes in go-to-market strategy, scalable operations, and repeatable motions to build multi-channel revenue for startup. Hypergrowth pre-IPO, and public tech companies. An entrepreneur at heart, Andrew enjoys talking about himself in the third person and run-on sentences. Hmm. But before we get to Andrew, this episode is brought to you by NeuroNoodle. Hey, parents of athletes, get a doodle of their noodle, which is a brain map, before the season starts, so you have a baseline to compare it to. Hey, man, basketball starting up pretty soon. Concussions in basketball, concussions in football. You get a physical every year, right? Well, get a brain checkup now before that season starts. Schedule an appointment now at NeuroNoodle.com. KG.
2: Yes, Pete. KG. Pete, lay it on me, bro.
1: Three-legged dog walks into a bar and says to the bartender, "I'm looking for the man who shot my paw." Leave us some comments on our blog at <laughs> Assholes.net.
2: It gets me hey, every sh- time. I swear to God, I can't keep. I can't not laugh. It gets me. <laughs>
1: Uh, you're not as good as ferrara uh you got any
2: shout outs kg uh i have a few yeah so i want to congratulate bill bench formerly of uh marketo fame uh for starting a new position as the operating partner at battery ventures that's kind of a big deal uh congratulations bill and uh, happy birthday to my buddy todd sims formerly of the business.com days and others he's now president of B. Riley Venture Capital. Congratulations, T. Sims. And then uh, happy birthday to Alex Carey, formerly of ZipRecruiter. He's now running his own gig, telling other sales companies how to do uh, do their jobs. And congratulations to Dave Tuttle, currently at ZipRecruiter, leading enterprise sales over there. He just got engaged finally. Guy finally pulled oh. the trigger. Yeah, waited, waited too long, but now he's going to regret it like you, you, me, and Andrew do pre up. All right. <laughs> I'm, uh, kidding.
1: I'm kidding.
0: Quick question on nerves, if you don't mind. Yeah, hit me. Uh, can they help me before my next concussion as a revenue leader?
1: Oh, absolutely. From uh, banging your head against the wall?
0: Brain that
2: before you become a CRL.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, hey, I got Jen Robledo, one year at uh, Next. Sean Stegnik, six years at ZS associates those guys are the pros and then ray dinglas in three years at salesforce way to go raymond and then uh you know we don't have Ferrar here he's on his sabbatical colin pole colin powell passed away
2: yeah yeah, yeah. what a silence
1: there i met him once and uh he didn't like me very much this was what? uh before the iphone days i had a little video camera and uh, he didn't like the camera in his face uh, ah. he basically he basically
0: fan of high character
1: high character and uh he very intense intense he he made me really nervous we'll edit that on a post uh okay so andrew kg how do you guys know
2: each other man andrew you tell the story man then i'll tell you if you're right
0: yeah, let me, I was going to push it over to you and then compliment it as well. Uh, to my best recollection, which I'm sure I'm wrong, you know, I was looking to expand my network. I've been in LA tech for 20 years and it turns out that the only people I knew were people that I had worked with. And this is probably five, six years ago. And I don't know how it happened. Uh, I was looking to expand my network and meet a different group of people. And I know we're sassholes here, but to pay KG a great compliment, he was just altruistic as fuck. It was just like, I'd love to meet you. How can I help you? We grabbed lunch. Neither of us had needs or asked for each other. We just formed a relationship uh based on professionalism, accomplishments, and golf. And he's flaked on me on every golf
2: uh outing since. Because I'm embarrassed to play golf with you because you're so good. Uh but yeah, I I you were it was right out on the heels of some great success that you had at Cornerstone on Demand, which was I think that was like one of Los Angeles' first tech IPOs or something like that. It was largest, huge.
0: Largest B2B
2: IPO in LA history.
0: And then uh, the other copycats decided they thought they should IPO
2: as well. Yeah, and then they should as well. That's right. But we, but I can't remember how exactly, like what connected us. And it may have just been you as a cold outreach in the LA, LA tech scene.
0: Hey, never too big for cold outreach, let me tell you
1: did you did, did he did he sell you some shoes
2: hey, well i didn't have shoes i didn't i wasn't wearing shoes yeah that's a that's an inside sales that's a that's an inside sales joke inside sales inside joke P. Yeah. i get it i get what you're well
1: doing. if you're going to sell shoes you got to sell socks if you're going to sell socks you got to put them in their hands andrew you know all about that you you were selling shoes at 14 what's that about
0: My parents told me they weren't getting me a car. I decided early on that sales was kind of my avenue. Um, Grew up in Studio City, Sherman Oaks in Los Angeles and started selling shoes, man. Um, It was really, I hate to say instrumental the rest of my career because as a kid, people called me Al Bundy. But I I realized (laughs) the beautiful psychology of sales, which isn't saying, hi, can I help you? And then bringing out a shoe. I mean, it's the immediate identification of when someone's wearing basketball shoes and they're beat up, establishing rapport. Like, wow, those are Jordans. Do you wear them or do you just, or do you play in them? Do you play indoor or do you play outdoor? Why those shoes? And then bringing out a bunch of shoes that they thought they wanted, but something that might be a better fit for them. And it really is being a expert at whatever you do and being trusted in that. And that's right. I just broke down sales methodology as a CRO from being a 14-year-old selling Nikes.
1: So you wouldn't say, hey, man, those shoes look like shit.
0: Oh, once they left, absolutely. <laughs> but uh, my goal was, I mean, look, this was this was prime Michael Jordan time. If they wanted to dunk, how are they going to dunk in Reeboks?
1: Especially when they're tucked in your jeans. Or maybe that's <laughs> <laughs> a bit later
0: Five, six Jewish kids at the age of 14, Yes.
1: <laughs> All right, so you you majored in film, huh? What uh, that's before YouTube.
0: Yeah, um, I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. I don't think most of us did. And I remember my dad told me, he said, "Very few people, I think less than ten percent, actually do what as a profession what they major in college." So have fun. And it was it was a lot of fun. I think what I learned in film. I graduated '99. Was understanding how to work with different people. Look, I went to LA public school and I played competitive sports with people from completely different backgrounds with different goals. And I think film was the same way. Thought I wanted to be in film, came back to LA and I would, went straight to the mail room at Artist Management Group. Uh, it was the worst eight days I've ever had in my life. I got huh. stuck in an elevator with Lenny Kravitz. It was the best eight minutes that I had had when I was there. And he looks at me, he says, if this is your goal every day to get stuck in an elevator, you need to find a new job. He said that? In the mailroom were people from Harvard, Wharton, and this fool from San Diego State. And I quit on the spot with nothing lined up. And half of them looked at me like I was an idiot. And the other two thirds looked at me just, (laughs) if you can do the math, yes, it adds up.
1: Did you tell him you love the Jeffersons?
0: No, I didn't. But um, <laughs> in the elevator, we did agree that he was going to go my way.
1: <laughs> but that's pretty. Hey, you, you
0: keep uh, yeah, it all dad jokes. I'm not above that shit.
1: And you started your own AI and LLP NLP company. What is an NLP company?
0: Natural language processing, bro. So. Ah. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I was very fortunate that I met one of my mentors who had just got off the phone with a great guy named Will Bernstein. I'm 22. He's 24. Uh, We got some funding and we were working with, I'm really dating myself, but by the way, there's no one I'd rather date. If you can remember (laughs) AOL instant message buddy, it was early Slack. And you went back and forth Well, they built something called buddy chat, which you could say, Hey, what's the weather? And it would give you a response. So we built out an NLP, to associate with images with the grand idea of customer service. Here's the idea. Verizon, why is my phone not working? Well, Andrew, you owe $68. Pay here. 20 years ahead of its time, built out sales, business development, learned a little programming, and actually sold that that company after two years. So at 24, I had an exit? Question mark? (laughs) Yeah.
1: What a... Head Start, 24. I think I was working 18 hours in a bar. And uh, LRN. what? What's an LRN?
0: What is an LRN? It is quite ironic if anyone wants to Google it. Uh, it was the leading ethics and compliance uh, company. So early... Uh, you know those fun courses you take on ethics and compliance and preventing workplace harassment and FCPA? Uh oh. yeah, EU data privacy. So... Post Enron and WorldCom, I worked at this company for six years. It was actually probably the coolest opportunity for me to grow my skill set where I was a trusted advisor to eBay, Agilent, Sempra, Qualcomm, rolling out global compliance programs. Does that sound boring? Absolutely. But I was 25 years old and I was able to have one-on-one meetings with people like Meg Whitney on how to run a global compliance program. What I learned is you don't have to be the smartest person in the room. You have to be an oh. expert at the one thing that you do well and you can captivate an audience. So i worked there for five years, crushed it.
2: You know, listen, I, you, you have a storied career in the LA uh, LA tech scene. And frankly, you know, so many uh, so many people we were talking last week about uh, some of the people that you're reaching out to. And it's like, wow, that's a, that's a huge, uh, that's a huge list, but I'd love for our listeners to take something out of this Besides just hearing about Andrew Hahn and, uh, and you, have a, um, you have a philosophy on basically why deals are won or are, or are lost. No,
0: I believe <laughs> deals are won or lost at Discovery. And I think we really need to think about how people arrive to us. The market is so different specifically today where, actually, let me play a quick game for either of you. Tell me the last purchase that you made that was over $1,000. An Airbnb,
2: An a Airbnb. vacation rental. Does that, does that qualify? Does that help you?
0: Hey, man, I'm a sales guy. I can turn anything into my story. But- actually, <laughs> let me change that, KG, and I am backing up. Pick something where you actually had to engage with someone selling you.
2: Engage also with someone selling you. All right. Car. Jew- jewelry. jewelry. Jewelry for the wife.
0: Yes. Jewelry for the wife. Horrible, but I'm going to go with it because I've already changed it once. If you think about the sophistication of the modern buyer. You didn't just go to a jewelry store and say, hey, I have $800. What can I buy? Mm -hmm. You asked her what you wanted. You did research online. You looked Mm -hmm. at reviews. You looked at quality. You talked to your peers. The sophistication of today's buyer is greater than it's ever been. If you want to buy software, they have gone out. They've looked at your G2 reviews. They've talked to their friends. They know they have a problem. They've identified the problem. They know they have a budget. So when they call you, Don't say, hey, can I tell you about my company? The deal is won or lost at discovery because understanding that journey, asking them questions. The the discovery is a first date. If you get a hug at the end of the first date, you are not going to close that relationship. So your ability to be empathetic, a subject matter expert, ask questions that aren't a list. Hey, let me go through my 10 questions behind the impetus of a compelling event don't have this in place excitement that they leave that first meeting with look if you don't have a successful discovery and you don't have that transfer of knowledge you're going nowhere you're just hoping that your product wins a deal and products don't win deals understanding your unique problems and how they match up to your product wins deals
2: yeah that that we've we've covered that a lot of times pete on on the podcast here and guess what like this is time and time again. we've got expert sales leaders on our show, Pete, that say that this, you know the deal was won at lost at discovery and we suck at doing it. And in fact, I have uh, there's some companies that I won't consult with that believe that asking all those kinds of questions, including the budget kind of questions, um, is inappropriate. That doesn't work in our industry. We won't have that conversation like, okay, well then good luck on you you know, no, no doubt about it. And, and Andrew, you said something that was really, I think real, I mean, everything you've said, by the way, for the last, uh, you know, 22 minutes has been extremely important, but something that was most important was that, um, understanding the deeper meaning behind the questions that you're that you're asking, I think is incredibly uh, important. I'm coaching a um, SDR train turned to AE right now and I'm helping her understand through the discovery process that it's not just, like you said, it's not just go down your list of questions, you have to understand, like, why are they asking those questions? And is there real pain behind the answers that they're, you know, that they're giving? And I keep telling her, remember, what you want to accomplish through your discovery is understanding how big their pains are in a quantifiable way, so that you can say, oh, my gosh, we've just figured out that you've got a two million dollar problem so for, so for the low low price of $250,000 we can solve your 2 or 3 million dollar problem that's yeah. that's what we're trying to accomplish through discovery and it's not just this you know this investigation or interrogation where check 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 you've asked all your questions like you're trying to really figure out if there's a real pain here yeah. well it's interesting kevin you brought up
0: the quantifiable impact i think there's a quantifiable and a qualitative as well Oh yeah. Yeah. What is the pain? Because there are some things that you can't measure. What what is it that you were brought on to do in this job? X, Y, and Z. You're spending so much time in B. But you know, I believe people buy for two reasons. Inspiration and desperation. Inspiration, great example. So my house got broken into five years, got broken into five years ago. I had thought about getting an alarm all the time. I knew what I wanted to go. I mean, this is classic ABM. I've seen commercials for ADT and Simple Safe or whatever it's called. My house got broken into, and the very next day I got an alarm. That is desperation. Inspiration is harder to sell to. So when they come to you believing there might be a better way to do something, that's a tough sell because now you have to educate them. Desperation is my house got broken into, or my lease is up in three weeks. I need a new car. They've already they already visualize what they're going to look like behind the wheel of it. They already know the price. They already so inspiration, and desperation. If you haven't figured out what that is, I don't know how you sell. The people.
2: Yeah. Yeah. If, if you don't, Sandler does a great job, by the way, of like articulating the pain uh, funnel.
0: Sandler sales or Adam Sandler?
2: Yeah, Adam Sandler does it really okay, cool. really good. Somebody needs to somebody needs to do. Pete, this is where you, insert Today, a, you know, in the service. Today, Junior. In your editing, yeah. No, um yeah, no, that's it's the Sandler selling system of course and they talk about Um, surface level pains, business level pains, and then the personal pain, like, hey, you know, you're the director of analytics. Uh, One of our previous guests named Schwartzfarb, he would go after companies where they had people that had titles of, uh, you know, director of pricing analytics or director of pricing, because guess what their product was to help them um, set optimal pricing across, you know, retail locations. He's like, these people it was super easy their job depended on getting this right so there was an immediate pain there and you have to you know, figure that out no pain no sale you have to you have to figure that out no no question let me ask you this why the fuck don't sales reps do it properly andrew mm-hmm. why 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 are they so fucking afraid <clears throat> of doing really thorough discovery and and when the customer, when the customer you know, starts kind of getting uppity with them, like with uh, you know, asking questions, why don't they just say, you know what, this might not be a good fit if you're not interested in like disclosing and describing and talking about some of these problems. Like why, why are salespeople so God awful bad?
0: We briefly talked about Cornerstone on Demand. One of the three founders, Stephen Seymour, is an absolute maniac and I love him. He's a maniac. He told me that 90% of salespeople can't sell think that's salespeople's fault. I mean, I went to the school of hard knocks, much like UKG, where I had to learn it. And today's environment is much different, but people don't know how to sell. Like I, I take pride in the fact that I wrote a hundred page sales playbook. Like the infrastructure for people today is so much better. There wasn't an STR. It was you're hired as an account executive and go close deals. The environment is different. Now, when you ask about people's comfort level and asking about budget, it's because they haven't been taught how to ask it. And if I'm new to sales, that is very, it's a tough question to ask if they don't know how to ask it. When they establish rapport, understand pain, and don't say how much money do you have, but to say, you know, have you bought similar products like this before? What are you currently using? If I'm if I'm selling BMWs and I know that you're driving a Mercedes, I know that you know this car costs 50 grand. So there's other questions you could ask about budgeting and pricing without saying, do you have money? So I think there's nuances that need to be educated, but it is a scary question to ask if you don't have the foundation and also how you communicate it. There's a difference between, do, do, do you guys have money to buy this? And this sounds like an awesome fit for you guys, I know we're replacing something. Are we going to fit in a similar budget? It's all about tone. It's all about communication, confidence, rapport. Sorry, you asked a simple question and I went off. Well,
1: they don't even teach personal finance in school. So these kids need to know numbers. I mean, they need to make it mandatory. So they understand that, you know, the reason why you're talking is you have an investment that costs 50 grand. It's going to return 500 grand. Is that enough profit for you? That they're thinking with their wallet, not the customer's wallet. You know, they they're thinking what's in it for them, and not what's in it for the client. You know, yep. we need. I think that's the first thing that needs to be taught. It's almost like a business class before you can get them to sell because they don't sound confident because they it sounds like a lot of money because they don't understand how much that could generate for the other person.
0: When you shift the paradigm of the relationship, when you realize specifically it's an inbound. So let's say we're speaking with a manager, director, buyer, they're a gatekeeper. And gatekeeper isn't a negative word. A gatekeeper is your personal influencer within an organization. They have been tasked with finding a better way to do something. So to your point, we can quantitatively and qualitatively define their success. But when they're inviting you to speak to their colleagues, peers, and superiors, it is in their best interest to make you look good or they look bad. So leveraging them and not using them, that's a horrible word, working and collaborating with them on the best way to approach this. I don't think you have to talk the exact price. I think you can ballpark uh, what it would be. So what's this BMW cost you to, you say anywhere from 30 to 100 grand, depending on your needs. It sounds to me like you might be looking for a five series and here is what it is. I think when the value was there, the, the cost associated with it is very clear. Um, and there's always going to be competitors that have a lower price, mm-hmm. but I think that's where you do value differentiation. And that's where the relationship and being a trusted advisor really kicks in.
2: <clears throat> yeah, let me let me just say this again. You said relationship and trusted advisor, and anybody who follows the sass holes know that I get all wrapped around the axle. Relationship is not about, you know... Laker games and mani petties and spa treatments and stuff like that, that may be part of it. That may be part of it. And maybe it's, you know, it could, it could end with something like that. Pete's going to say something funny of course, but uh, uh, but you have, that relationship better be built on a trusted advisor relationship as opposed to just mani-pedis and just Laker games, because if it's just based on that you're going to get replaced ten times out a out of ten when there's a, a lower price or somebody who does come along and makes you go hmm I hadn't thought about it that way thank you for bringing that to you know to my to my attention and honestly it's it's not that hard to do if you really care about doing it now in a transactional environment, You know, Andrew, it's harder. It's harder because you're, you know, it's it's high velocity there. But still, you want to be able to bring something to the table in that relationship, as short as it may be, forty five days or less, um, where where that person looks at you and goes, "Man, this person added value to my day. They didn't just take an order, and they're not just about how's the weather out there and how are the cubbies doing."
1: So discovery, if the deal is lost in discovery, we got a lot of new salespeople, new sales leaders that listen to us. Discovery isn't just, uh, oh, I opened up Salesforce. Here's my next phone call. Here's my first Google search. Uh, There's more to a quick Google search than for discovery, right? Yeah. What would that be?
0: I think it's establishing and asking the right questions. Um, Again, one of my favorite questions, specifically if it's inbound, is understanding their journey. Uh, Again, this is all about them. I really see an SDR or an AE, if it's inbound, being a bit of a therapist. Look, people have problems and people want to talk about their problems. They don't want to talk about them with strangers. So again, understanding why they came to you, asking a question that really resonates with them. You know, what are they currently doing? What's going on? Like, why now? Why now is a great question to understand what's really going on. Well, my manager wanted to get something in place. I get it, but you said you wanted something in place for December 1st, what's significant about December 1st? When you find out that the board has mandated something, now to Kevin's point, you have a true pain point and it's your job from your side to kind of dig that knife to make that pain even more visible. And as Kevin said, you know, when you talk about price, we might not be the best solution. I would love to understand more so I can actually match you up. And I'm gonna be the first person to tell you if there's an alternate solution. Now, that's not sales bullshit. Like, if I know you have a thousand dollar solution and we're 10,000, I'm already on the phone with you. Let me understand a bit more. My goal is to sharpen that pain point to validate the price tag. But I might say, look, Google Sheets might be the answer for you. You know, you're a growing organization.
1: You know, all these well, new kids that come out of training and then they hit the phones. Yeah. They they click Salesforce, they click Google, and they think that's discovery. And it's a little bit more than that. That's all that I'm saying.
2: Yeah, yeah. Like like, why don't why don't you just make it simple for the for the listeners here? Um, talk talk us through the steps to discovery, Andrew. Like, let's this, this. By the way, if you could do it in three minutes, Pete can put this on TikTok. He's a he's a huge TikTok guy.
0: Yeah. Well, unfortunately, I'm a horrible dancer.
2: Um, <laughs> You know, I think it's a lot different
0: if it's inbound or outbound. You know, I'm going to talk about inbound because it's a lot easier. Outbound usually catching people when they're not ready. On inbound, I think it immediately starts with, you know, hopefully if it's inbound, it's not raw. You know, they reached out to you and it's been communicated. Yeah. If you have an opportunity to do any research, again, personal rapport is important. People love talking about themselves. If you <laughs> see the Duke talk about Duke, North Carolina, you have immediate rapport. but Again, I think it goes to the questions that we identified early on. Like, what are you currently doing right now? And say, what do you like about that? And what isn't working for you? And what is an ideal future state? And then continue to ask questions. And why wasn't that working? Or why did you really like that? Now, another thing to keep in mind, I'm going off on a tangent here, is people have an assumption of what your product does and what the solution does. Again, they imagine what they look like behind that wheel. So it's an opportunity to validate that. So what are they currently doing? We mm-hmm. talk about the root cause or the pain. So understanding and going deeper, not just what's going on in the organization, but how it impacts them and then selling them on a future state. You know, you talked about Sandler. I think there's a lot of great sales philosophies. I'm a big fan of Keenan's book called Gap Selling. And I like Gap Selling because it's a simple solution. It's where are you now and what is that gap to the future state? And can we go on a collective journey? I love the term clients of common characteristics. What that means to me is if you're Coke, Pepsi might not be a similar company. It might be some other multinational company that has similar problems. So your ability to to say, Coke, thrilled, we have 5,000 customers. And actually, our biggest vertical is a food and beverage company. And here's what we've been able to do. Instills that trust and confidence. With gap selling, I love the metaphor of the gym. So everyone's 20 pounds overweight, Kevin. Um, (laughs) And and they go into a gym and say, hey, you know, this is discovery right here. Hey, I want to lose 20 pounds. And the right gym trainer will say, 20 pounds, great. Why 20? Well, I'm going on vacation. I've I've got a marriage, whatever. Got a a wedding, sorry. And here's where I want to go. Maybe it's 18. Maybe it's 22. We're not sure. Here's a book of people that have come in that are 50 years old and here's them 20 pounds overweight and here's them with a six pack of abs. It's the ability to show that you have done this for people like them and you've had this level of success to instill that in discovery. So you've learned what's going on. You've learned the pain point. You've empathized. You've turned the knife. You've shown them a future seat through gap selling and you've earned the right to ask for next steps and put some accountability on a mutual action plan that you both can stand behind. And with that mutual Mm -hmm. action plan, you're not following up saying, hi, we spoke two weeks ago. I was hoping to speak to your team. Hey, you said you wanted this in place December 1st. You also said procurement usually takes two or three weeks. I'm looking out for you, man, because I know this is important. We should probably get this demo with a larger team in place in the next week and a half. Now you're not an a-hole telling them what to do,
2: their best interest to ensure their success the mutual action plan by the way i love the mutual action plan and i was just yesterday uh coaching this very same rep she's brand new so she doesn't have any bad habits like pete um and i was talking to her about that very same thing and i said so she's telling me about somebody who okay andrew here's here's what she said to me and i want to see your reaction she said this person is very interested and I sent her a contract what's your reaction Andrew what what would I have said what did I say to her she's very interested and I sent her a contract what did I say
0: I don't know but when I was single I dated girls that were very interested and our next date wasn't at the altar I don't know
2: (laughs) no the whole point was I said what are next steps yeah and she goes she goes oh should I have set up a calendar appointment (laughs) and I said thousand percent. Yes, you should have. And, and let me and let me help you by making this not a pain in the ass type of way of asking for it. I said, let me ask you a question, Mr. Ms. Customer. When would you like to go live? When would your recruiters like to be using back the back. software? That's right. Oh, November 1st. Well, then I recommend we get something on the calendar for tomorrow to review the contract because it's gonna take a week for implementation and how long does it take to go through procurement on your side? And, and I described that to her because I, I said, you don't wanna be that pest that is constantly like checking in, I'm checking in, I'm following up just to see, by the way, Andrew, this is the phone. This is a phone, old school. I me feel. And if you want to roll down the window too, that'd be cool. Yeah. Me and Pete used to do that. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and I, and I said, you know, you, you want to drive your manager crazy. Her, her name is Brian. I said, you want to drive your manager crazy. He's going to ask you to forecast this deal and, mm-hmm. and you're going to say it's coming in November 1st. And, he, and then he's going to see that there's no calendar time to talk. And he's ah, going to drop that out yeah. of the forecast. Yeah, yeah he's going to drop know, that out of the forecast.
0: I love the fact you brought up procurement because again, a young salesperson would say, you know, what is you know um, how long does procurement take? You know, the better open-ended question is, you know, have you bought software like this before? What does legal look like? What does procurement look like? They're either going to say, oh, Jan and procurement is amazing. She'll get back to us or I don't know. Then you can be that trusted advisor. You talked about next steps. And I have a six and a half year old son I'm coaching in sports, which is such a bad recipe. The biggest thing that I, I get across to him is a Steph Curry quote, which is separation is in the preparation. Daddy, what does that mean? I said, don't worry, just keep saying it. But your ability to prepare for these meetings, have a game plan and be able to pivot because just, I hope, you know, the whole forecasting, forecasting is an art. It is a friggin' art. And I always have my, my VPs and my sales managers have a list of 10 questions. Every AE knows when they're going to meet on a weekly one-on-one that they can be asked any of these 10 questions for any of their accounts. It's everything from compelling event, uh, authority to buy, timeline, competitor. And you don't have time to ask them on their 20 opportunities, but you pick two of them and you ask three of those questions. I guarantee you, they're going to be thinking about this. It's not to get, I got you. It's to help them think about how they're going to win the deals because if you don't understand a compelling event, buyer, procurement, uh, what are the threats in the competitive nature, then you're hoping. And I hate <laughs> having forecasts forecast based on hope.
1: Hope's not a good strategy. So, Andrew, what, what is discovery?
0: Discovery is about empathy, man. I think most importantly, you need to be empathetic to why they reached out to you and be genuinely curious. So I have a handful of steps with that curiosity. And again, we're not reading through a list. What are you currently doing? What is the root cause of that pain and our ability to turn that knife to sharpen it? You know, highlighting a future state without that pain and how good that they'll look. Earning the right to ask deeper questions. And again, that comes with empathy and curiosity and being a subject matter expert. Why are they buying? Is it inspiration or desperation? Like, is there a compelling event? Can we put a mutual action plan in place? Most importantly, with this discovery, you're setting yourself up to actually show them solutions and not ask questions in the future and be that trusted advisor.
2: So, hey, Andrew, talk to me further. I really loved how you, you talked about why people buy. So people buy from who, not whom. Let's, let's, let's talk about that.
0: Yeah, people buy from people they like. That was true. And my stepdad was selling radio 40 years ago and he crushed it. He was so likable. Look, I, I'm a pretentious LA douchebag and I drive a BMW and I have bought every BMW from someone that I don't like. But she is an expert. She's the number one salesperson in the world for BMW. So I want to walk you through this journey and let's stop talking about cars. Let's stop talking about software. Let's talk about something that we love, alcohol. So let's look at a four box quadrant. We take the top left, we're gonna break this down. So the top left, the bartender is really likable and they are an expert at all things spirits. You're gonna go into that bar and just say, make me whatever you want. Then you look at the top right. The bartender is an asshole, but they are known for making the best drinks in LA. Are you gonna buy from them? You actually are. You might not enjoy the experience, But you're going to love that cocktail. Now, here's where it gets interesting. On the bottom left, well, I mean, this is obvious. The bartender is an asshole and they don't know how to make drinks. You're absolutely no way. The most important thing to think about is the bottom right. And this is interesting. Someone who is really nice, this bartender is really nice, really cute, but doesn't know the difference between bourbon and vodka. You're going to order a beer and smile. And I think this is really important. When you talk about people buy from people that they like, this is the equivalent of getting a hug at the end of the first date. If you are not a subject matter expert and you're really likable, they will take your call, but you're not really going to get that second or third date. Most importantly, you're not going to close that deal. So what do we take away from this? Absolutely be likable. Be curious, be empathetic. But more important is to be a trusted advisor and an expert at the problem they are trying to solve.
2: Drop. how, how do you become a? How do you become a trusted advisor.
0: Yeah, let me tell you, I mean, we, you know, Pete talked about my successes and failures. My biggest failure was probably the greatest impetus to my kind of success. Uh, there's an amazing company called Flowcast in LA and I was probably the fifth higher VP of sales, uh, which is a tough role to come into, you know, pre-series A. And I failed and they fired me. And you know what? They were right to fire me. Oh, mostly right to fire me. I didn't have a background in finance and accounting, and I rested on my laurels of, man, I know how to sell. I know how to build recurring revenue. And I didn't know the product. I didn't know the pain points. I didn't know the industry. And they were right to let me go. And you know what? I have not made that mistake since. So being a trusted advisor, it goes back to what we said. First of all, listen. Second of all, be curious. But when it pivots to you, your ability to not brag, but to use the vernacular, the terminology, To say, wow, this sounds like so many clients that I've helped. Your excitement for their problem validates that you're a trusted advisor to move them forward. And they're going to sit shotgun in this co-pilot marathon at getting this deal done because they look up to you. Again, Meg Whitman at eBay looked up to me, not because I was more talented or smarter, because I was an expert at one thing that she didn't know very well.
1: What did you talk to Meg Whitman about?
0: Well, I'm sounding like I'm really bullish and I own that meeting. I was 25. I was shaking in my oversized Banana Republic clothes that were 40% off that I waited for such such a coupon. Back to that job at LRN where we were ethics and compliance specialists. So they needed to roll out e-learning. This is post-Sarbanes-Oxley when Enron and WorldCom we're just scaring the shit out of everyone and how to yeah. run a business. And corporate malfeasance was, was really at the precipice. Sorry, that's a lot of big words. So we're trying to roll out a global compliance program. So there's two things that you need to do. First of all is CYA. What do I need to get out the door today that checks the boxes with the government? So that is preventing workplace harassment, EU data privacy, FCPA, whatever that might be. But what she was curious in is how do we go above and beyond? So then we just started talking about being good managers, open communication, differences in cultures, and just the ability to put out a roadmap with her. Like, don't roll all this out in one day. You know, if you give someone eight days or eight weeks to complete complete this, you're going to get the spike when you roll it out. And you're going to intermittent, and then everyone's going to complete it at the end. I said, what you need to do is put out a video to all of your employees saying, "Hey." This is why it's important to eBay, but equally important, here's how it helps you in your role. And we'd greatly appreciate you participating in that. It is such a different tone than saying, here are classes taken by the end of the month. And she really bought into that. And we rolled out a corporate global program to do not only the CYA, but to elevate their game um, and being good, ethical people. And I never had meetings like that with Mark Zuckerberg, Insult. (laughs) (laughs)
1: you know it all comes down to our man aristotle ethos logos pathos right you know ethos uh don't be a douchebag logos what's the logic what's the reason behind your argument and then pathos it's debatable on what what your take on pathos is but to me it's the person that you're talking to the mindset that they're currently in and of those three things you only control two out of the three so it's almost like a slot machine you need cherry 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 in order to influence somebody and in order to get that logos sort or of the logic you better get your discovery down man and i think that's where you're coming from andrew
0: yeah i mean I'll, first of all you're spot on second of all, all i'm thinking about is the dude's a douchebag aristotle as a bumper sticker because we all know that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Andrew, man, you've been a, uh, this has been great having you on the show, man. Uh, you've been a SaaS revenue leader for the last uh, 20 years. How can people get in contact with you, man?
0: No, thanks. Uh, I appreciate it. First of all, I've had a great time being here. You can find me on LinkedIn, um, Andrew Hahn, Los Angeles. I think my LinkedIn is backslash Andrew Hahn1121, because apparently Andrew Hahn was already taken. Man, um, I've been fortunate. I've worked with great companies. I've crushed it as a CRO, global VP, uh, SVP. I've also failed a bunch, which I've learned a lot from. Uh, just stepped away from my current CRO gig, uh, doing some amazing consulting. But I think my next role that I'm really hungry for is a ideal match of culture, opportunity, opportunity, marketplace, but most importantly, uh, relationships. Looking for my next gig. I love consulting more importantly, or equally important. I love being altruistic. So if there's any of your listeners that want to schedule 30 minutes that I can help them it's pay it forward, man, I'm always available and I'd love to help people out.
1: Andrew, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Pete, thank you. KG, thank you. And great. Thanks for listening to the sassholes on behalf of KG and myself, Pete, we thank you for listening. We ask you to give us five stars in Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to our newsletter in the podcast notes, and you can always buy us a beer on Patreon slash Sassole. Hear the non copyrighted music.